Good evening. If you can, open to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Continuing our series through 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 18. You know, it's kind of difficult to watch a person's life crumble before your eyes. And that's exactly what we're seeing here in 1 Samuel with Saul. We saw him put into a place of prominence as king. We saw the pride overtake him and get to get to him. And then we started seeing the results of that pride and how it affected not only his life, but his role as king. And last week we saw the raising up of a new leader in David. What it meant to be a leader, a leader was someone of action, someone of faith, someone who actually believed enough to act on that belief. Whereas Saul and so many others, they had this role and they knew who they were as the the children of Jacob, of Israel. They, They had this awareness of the God who delivered their people from Egypt and did many things throughout the land of promise, giving them an inheritance. But when it came to them actually acting on that, they didn't step forward and challenge the Goliath that was there before him. But David did. David not only believed, or we should say David really believed. And we see the difference between a belief that is just informational and a belief that is actually involving the character and actions that a person engages in. And so we saw the shift in leadership take place last chapter, and we're going to continue that shift here in chapter 18. Let's read verses 1 through 5. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Remember, Jonathan was Saul's son. We saw him a few chapters back, a great uh, chapter that deals with his faithfulness and belief and trust in God when he actually and his servant, his armor bearer, went against the Philistines. So we see Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. I think that's interesting. It says, did not let him return. It's almost like David didn't have a choice. I'm not going to let you go, which is interesting what that can imply. Verse 3, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. We see that David 
becomes a person that can be trusted, a person of action, the kind of person that you are looking for. If you want someone to get something done, especially in a military standpoint, David's the guy. And remember, he's just a kid, at least in our standards, maybe, you know, his late teens. And so here is this young man, boy, being entrusted with this position. And as time goes on, he becomes a person of just renown. And there is this bond that takes place between David and Jonathan. And as we saw a couple chapters back, Jonathan and him are kindred spirits. These are are two young men. Jonathan is probably just a little older than David, who have this trust and belief in God that actually provokes them to do things. And so they hit it off. And you guys have been around people like that where you're with someone and you guys have the same ideas, the, the same drives, the same priorities in your life. And pretty soon you just hit it off. You talk with them and it's like, yeah, man, I love talking with this guy because, man, I really connect with them. And boy, she has the same ideas and dreams and visions that I do. And and so you get together with these people and pretty soon you're infectious, you're you're contagious. You contagious. Those are sound like negative terms, but I mean them in a positive way. You know, they're, they're things that cause you to stir each other on. And what's really profound here is that if anyone had a reason to feel threatened by David and his success, it would be Jonathan. You see, Jonathan would be next in line to be king. Jonathan would be the one who would be looking out for his throne. Hey, when my dad dies, I get to inherit this. But we don't see that with Jonathan. In fact, the idea of Jonathan giving him his robe, his tunic, his sword, and his bow is basically telling David that I do not want the inheritance. I'm giving it to you. My position, I give it to you. What an amazing, selfless act. What what incredible humility in this young man, Jonathan. So much so that he is not trying to vie for position or trying to secure his own position. They actually cared about each other more than the position of the throne. They actually were young men of incredible respect. In contrast, verse 6 When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul and sing, with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye 
on David. Why was Saul angry? Was that Saul? Jealousy. Okay. Let's unpack this a little. He was jealous. Here are all these young girls singing, and they're giving more acclimates to David than for me. If anyone's going to get upset, it'll be having all these young girls sing about someone else and not me, the king. Why was he jealous? What, what, what is jealousy? What does it stem from? Fear. Fear of envy. Pride. Pride. Pride being the root, really, of what this sin is about. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, calls pride the great sin. And he says, virtually every sin is born out of this one. A couple of things that I read in that as I was going through this, I wanted to share with you. He says, there is no fault that makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking of is pride. The more pride we have, the less we see it in ourselves. But the more we dislike it in others. Each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. It is because I wanted to be the big noise at the party that I am so annoyed at someone else being the big noise. See how this applies to David and Saul. I wanted to be the one they sang about. That's what makes me so upset that they're singing about David. And so this is, again, exposing Saul's heart. Now, what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. It is competitive by its very nature. You see, pride needs something that it needs to compete against. You're not just pride in and of yourself. You're pride because you want to be better than or want more than something or someone else. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and joke and friendliness among drunken people or unchaste people, but pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. Pride is what made the devil a devil. And it is pride that will make devils of us all, C.S. Lewis said. And here we see that that is the root of what is taking place in Saul. He is proud. He doesn't want to share his glory as king with this young upstart David. Who does he think he is? And it wasn't that David did anything wrong. It's that David was getting more attention than me. This is something that we need to look at in ourselves. It's a sick soul 
that cannot celebrate the success of someone else. If I cannot rejoice in what someone else has, I need to ask myself, why? Why am I so envious of that person's success? Why am I so upset about that person's looks? About that person's position? Car? Clothing? Height? What's so funny? Am I envious of what someone else has? I need to ask myself, why? When I start trying to define who I am by devaluing who others are, be sure that pride has set in. That I feel I have a right to something. And that my position needs to be heard. When we start talking about what we're against and not what we're for, something is gone wrong. And this happens many times in church circles. Pretty soon when you're meeting, it's to point out how wrong everyone else is so that we can feel more right. And so what I do is I get this benefit by talking about all the problems I see in other people or other churches. Well, that church, they do it this way. We do it this way. We have this. You know what I heard about them? And pretty soon I'm getting this feeling of being better than because of what I can find at fault with someone else. Pride. Again, it's a sick soul that cannot celebrate the success of other people. And that's what we see taking place in Saul. Again, it's just awful to see this man start to decay before our eyes. This young man who had potential to see him become just greedy and just, just ugly. An ugly character. Continue in verse 10. It says, The next day, An evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. David eluded him twice. Twice. Not just once, twice. Any questions on this verse? Anything's we've talked about the evil spirit from the Lord. We talked about God just being responsible, even though it wasn't like God is going to make Saul do something. We saw the decline of Saul's character where then God allowed these things to take place, much like what happened with Pharaoh, where Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. We saw that transition take place with Saul as well. Um, no other questions? What about this prophesying? Anyone curious about that? Yeah? <laughs> well, the word prophesying, it doesn't necessarily have the same concept that we do. And here again is where sometimes our upbringing starts to translate what we read more than what's actually there. 
the word prophesying, it, it means babbling or raving. Not all prophesying is from God. There's a lot of prophesying or proclaiming or babbling that isn't from God either. So just when you hear the word prophecy or prophesying, it doesn't always mean it's a good thing or prophetic from God. It could mean that it's just someone out speaking out or someone even giving a word that isn't good. And so the word prophesying in itself doesn't mean it's always good. Again, it has to do with bubbling over or babbling. And so Saul is going into this frame of mind. Something is wrong with this man. Okay, he is now being influenced by these evil spirits. And whenever someone is being influenced by evil spirits, it's always good to see if they have a javelin or spear in their hand. Because the two don't go together very well. And so he's being tormented. He's being driven mad with this thought, David is going to take my throne. And isn't that an amazing thing how these kinds of thoughts can eat at us, can overtake us, can overwhelm us. This jealousy, this pride, it can consume you. And it did. So pretty soon while David's there, just jamming on his harp as much as you can on a harp. And he's sitting there playing. Saul is in a different frame of mind. And he's being tormented and tormented. And pretty soon it is overwhelming. And he has this javelin. He goes, I'm going to pin David against the wall. And so he chucks it at him. David eludes him or Saul's bad aim or far away. But it happens apparently twice. crazy. This begins the unusual and difficult relationship that we're going to see that takes place between Saul and David. This is where Saul now acts on his fear, acts on his insecurity. This is where Saul gives in to his weakness. And things only snowball from here. It's amazing how that first step can lead to the next, that can lead to the next, that can lead to the next. And this is where it begins. And it doesn't begin small. Saul tries to kill David, chucks the spear at him, and fortunately he misses. Verse 12. This is so interesting. Think of what we just read. Saul threw a spear at David twice. In verse 12, it says, Saul was afraid of David. Doesn't that strike you as weird? Shouldn't David be the one who's afraid? Saul's throwing spears at me. (laughs) I mean, you would think that David would say, I'm afraid. But Saul is afraid of David because... The Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. Now, how did he know that the Lord had departed or the Lord was with David? How does Saul know this? He didn't tell Saul. He told told Saul that God was going to give the kingdom to someone else. He didn't tell him it was David. We're going to see that word success 
come up a bunch of times with David where he had great success. Um, the success is one of the visible signs that probably Saul could see that God was with him, that it's speaking of, because everything that David did seemed to work. But we need to understand that the success was there because of the decisions that David was making. David made the decisions and it led to the success that he had. And his conduct was a result of that kind of life. And so Saul was afraid because he saw the Lord was with David, which meant he was worried about the Lord taking the kingdom, which Pat does go back to Samuel did say the kingdom's going to be taken from you. And so he is aware that, okay, if he's, if God's with him, then maybe God's going to give what I have to him. And here we see that insecurity that breeds the fear, that breeds the paranoia. Can anyone relate to that? Has anyone ever been just very insecure and afraid and it leads to paranoia? Pretty soon everything means something. You're always worried about it. Gosh, it's amazing how much um, is out there right now on the Internet about, you know, uh, just all these different kind of conspiracies. It's rampant. There is so much fear and so much paranoia. And it just becomes something that you take the smallest thing and it means so much more. And it's just a little thing, but in your mind, you make it to be something else. And so here we see that with Saul. He, he's insecure. He's fearful. He's paranoid because he knows the Lord's with David. And he also knows that the Lord has departed from him. Verse 13. So he sent David away from him. And gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success. Why? Because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. And so what should have been seen as something good, Saul saw as something bad. Why? Because it was in comparison to him. He's doing good. I didn't do that good. They're going to want him instead of me. And so everything now becomes about himself. Everything he sees is going through the lens of self. And that's what pride does. Is it brings the focus first to you before it goes through anything else. And so we see this paranoia starting to develop and it only escalates from here. Verse 17, Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Merib. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. In other words, he's saying, well, okay, I'm not going to try and kill him. Everyone likes this guy. I'll let the Philistines kill him. And so I'll have him be in charge and going out and fighting all my battles. Verse 18, but David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my family or my clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? 
So when the time came for Merib, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given in marriage to Adriel of Meholah. Now, what do you think's happening here? Why was he supposed to be given this daughter and then it got taken away? What, what, what's going on? Any thoughts? Trying to keep him close. Any other thoughts? Do you guys remember what was promised to the person who defeated Goliath? He was going to get married. Didn't David do that? And so here again, oh yeah, you'll you'll get this. Because remember David asked, what's going to be given to the person who slays this Philistine? This Well, this was supposed to be his. Could it be that what Saul's trying to do is aggravate David? I'm going to let you in. You're going to be part of the family. And when it comes time, he changes his mind, gives it to someone else. Have you ever had a job or a potential job and you're like in line for the job and everything is looking good and you're waiting for that phone call to say you got the job and you never get the phone call, but then you find out that the job was given to the manager's nephew. Does that happen to anyone else besides me? (laughs) I, I remember going in for the interviews and I remember nailing it. I remember the guy liking me and saying, yeah, you've got it. He told me I was a shoe in. He said, yeah, this is your, the position is yours. I'll get back to you. And I was in a place where I just couldn't wait to get out. It was just a dark, dark place I was working. And so I was holding on to this with everything. And I waited for that phone call and I waited for the phone call and it never came. And finally I called and I said, yeah, so wondering what's going on. Oh, we gave that position to so-and-so. And I was like, what? And I found out it was the manager's nephew. In fact, the guy said, yeah, I didn't want to give it to him, but I had no choice. I was, I was okay. No, I wasn't. I, I was, I was real upset. It, it ticked me off. I was counting on this. I was looking forward to this. I was upset. I probably threw things that I wasn't supposed to throw, but I, I just was upset. I could see Saul trying to unease David and just mess with his mind. This was supposed to be David's. He he defeated Goliath. He was now promised this by Saul. And then Saul, right before he was supposed to be given to David, took it away. And so now this takes place. Verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Now, does something strike you here? Oh boy, I get a second opportunity to be your son-in-law. You've chucked javelins at me. 
You've lied to me. You've taken away the promise. And now I want to be, again, your son-in-law. But again, everything is being filtered through this man Saul's power. Lucky for you, I'm going to give you a second chance to be related to me. Oh, boy. Please don't try and kill me. But you see, that's how Saul is thinking. And when it says it might be a snare to him, what does it mean? What does he mean might be a snare? Distraction? Yeah, he's either talking about something bad about McCall, he knows about her, which we see some things about her later in 2 Samuel chapter 6, that she's not the most supportive of wives. He mentions right after this something about the Philistines, right? And so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. And so verse 22, we'll kind of get the unfolding of this. Then Saul ordered his attendants, speak to David privately and say, look, the king likes you and his attendants all love you. Now become his son-in-law. They repeated these words to David, but David said, do you think it's a small matter To become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. In other words, I don't have the means. Usually, if you're going to become the son-in-law, you have to give a dowry. I have to provide, you know, cattle or or goats or camels or something for this wife. I need to pay for it. And I can't. I'm a poor person. Verse 24, when Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul said, say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride, get this, than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. So that was his intent. I, you want to be my son-in-law, this is what you have to do. Surely he'll get killed. By doing this, because you're going to have to kill these Philistines to fulfill this, I would imagine. What a gruesome thing. We won't go into detail about that. Saul's plan all along is to do what? To get rid of David. He's trying to, in a sneaky way, look at I'm trying to bring you close, but I really want to kill you. It's like keep your enemies, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer is kind of an attitude that he's got here with David. And and so he puts this task out there that he wants to put David in harm's way. He's making it seem like it's a good thing, but the hope is that he will be killed. Yeah, it's later on the same thing that David would later do. Something about being king. (laughs) And so, verse 26, when the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. What an interesting attitude. You see, I would think of that and I'd think, yeah, it's okay. I don't like her that much. But David's like, all right, this is my chance. And it's amazing what perspective can do to your motivation and your abilities. It's amazing what faith and trust and and David believing, this is a great thing. I can do this. We, We don't see a hesitation at all. 
He just thinks, what a great opportunity. What do we think when obstacles are put in front of us? Do we think, what a great opportunity? Or do we think, oh my gosh, it's going to cost what? A hundred what? I, I can't afford that. I can't do that. That's too much. But that doesn't enter his mind. And we see that this is an important thing in whatever we do. I mean, if you have an attitude of, I just can't do it, then the odds are you won't get it done. But if you have this understanding, I can do this. This is a great opportunity. I'm going to. Then you do. It's kind of like when they talk to these incredible basketball players, you know, like a Michael Jordan or a Kobe or a Magic Johnson. These people, when it comes down to the game rests on you. Do you want them to pass the ball to someone else or do you say, give me the ball? Because some people, they don't want the ball when it's two seconds left and they're down by one point. What they want is get the ball to him. But then there is the other person who says, oh, I can take this shot. Give it to me. And see, David's, give me the ball. I'll take it. Who are we? What kind of people are we? So David was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, David took his men with him and went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. They counted out the full number to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter, Michal, in marriage. Yeah, that's a picture. What is amazing, not just what happened and the, the craziness of it, but that David did twice as much. Why do you think he did that? To honor him? It, it, it doesn't seem like he was, it, it doesn't seem like it was a prideful issue. It, it seems like he was just trying to say, you know what? It's worth more. To be your son-in-law is worth more than just a hundred. It's going to be two hundred. I'm going to double that. So yeah, to honor Saul. So now, here is Saul getting this. He gives his daughter in marriage. What else can he do? Verse 28, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became more afraid of him and remained his enemy the rest of his days. Pride led to fear that led to the person who was probably the most faithful servant he ever had led that person to become an enemy. All because of pride. I'm worried this person's going to try and take my kingdom. And so he became an enemy. And yet here is David showing him actually more respect. We see throughout David's life, he never wanted to raise his hand against Saul. Even when he could 
kill him. He would not raise his hand against him. The most trustworthy servant that Saul had became his enemy because of his pride. Something is wrong when we cannot elevate and celebrate others. Something is really wrong with us when we try to put others down and not develop them and build them up. There's been a a change in my own perspective in the last five years or so and how I, I see people who are serving and wanting to be involved with ministry and the service of God. There was a time when I felt that, well, if you want to do this, you have to earn it, buddy. You have to pay the dues like I did. You have to work hard and prove yourself, then maybe we'll give you a chance. And there was a focus on always finding the faults in people, and they weren't hard to find. You can find the faults in anyone. But I remember being involved with uh, the leadership over at Mosaic and Erwin McManus, as he would talk about people, I kept seeing that he would point out the good things in all the people. And that's all that seemed to come out of him was how qualified all these people were, how talented these people, oh, I love this about this person. They're an incredible gifted at this or that. And it was like he kept building people up, building people up. And there seemed to be no feeling of being threatened. Oh, this guy is an amazing speaker. He's going to be here this Sunday. Oh, you got to listen to him. And it's almost like he would rather you, he's all, look at him, look at him, look at them, look at that. And it was so refreshing to just see this lack of self in a position of leadership where it became something I was very aware of I needed to do is to lift up others to be happy like Julian just to be happy about the success of others to want to see people do well to not worry about position or focus of attention but to do all that I, I could to see those who are gifted in certain areas, give them position and place to, to develop and grow. And we want to do that more. But Saul couldn't. Who was his best servant became his enemy because of how he thought. In verse 30, it says, The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle And as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. What could have been an alliance that developed and made Saul a greater, not only king, person, was actually his downfall. The actions that Saul took against someone proved to be what was against himself. How we treat other people is very important. How we elevate others or try and put them down is very important. Remember Jesus' words, whatever 
you do towards these the least you, you do to me. With what measure you judge, you will be judged. How we treat and deal with others, God looks at and says, that's how you want me to treat and deal with you. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. How he treated David was ending up how God was dealing with him. It was a mirror. As he would attack David, we would see that the kingdom would slowly be taken more and more from him and given to the person who he was trying to kill. Incredible truth that we need to be able to embrace. Any thoughts just on these passages? Anything stand out or questions? I don't know if he got it from that experience. I I think the self-focus and the power of what he had just became the thing that he gave into. I don't know if it's like, oh, I remember back then Saul did this. I mean, there are similarities definitely, but then there's some differences too, you know. But, yeah, I don't know. But that power definitely led to a place where if I can do this, maybe I can get away with it. Well, that was, yeah, part of the condition, but apparently, you know, Saul didn't go through with that and got, yeah. gave it to somewhere else. Well, I think it was because of position of being a position of being poor. And again, because he said, who am I? I can't afford this. And by can't afford, it means I, I don't have, you know, what it takes to earn the daughter of a king. I mean, that's got to cost a lot of money. She's valuable. And so I, I can't earn that which is what Saul was counting on to make him do this dirty deed. Yes, Eileen. Yeah. An interesting thing, too, on humility. I mean, humility is really the contrast to pride. And in C.S. Lewis's uh, chapter on pride, when he talks about humility, he says a person who's humble doesn't boast or talk about their humility. In fact, usually they don't talk about themselves at all. In other words, they don't think of themselves as humble. They just don't think of themselves usually at all, which is kind of what we see as David. Like, who am I? I, I shouldn't be able to do that. You know, it wasn't like, well, no, I'm just too low. It just, oh, I, I can't do that. Kind of an absence of self really is the sign of humility, which is kind of what we see of him. Yeah, pride takes on a lot, a lot of different shapes, you know, it definitely does. I think he's talking about David playing. Well, again, the word prophesying means to uh, bubble over. And so even the Revised Standard Version translates it raving. So it, it might be so much more just babbling or raving about something and not necessarily the things of God. You know, again, we, we bring our upbringing into our translation whenever we see the word prophesying we assume it means a certain thing but actually it, it didn't it didn't every time you'd see prophesying you wouldn't think oh it's from god it was just someone proclaiming or babbling or raving and so what they were raving about determined what it was whether it was god or it just might have been meaningless and so he was just raving again this might be part of his madness just starting to develop as it got on and on and on, it just became more and more, you know, babbling.
which is an interesting thing. When all, remember when he was first brought in, it soothed Saul and he was calm. But now when Saul had his eye on David and his pride was worried about him, then he couldn't find the soothing. Then his mind just kept going over. And that's when it talks about the evil spirit forcibly came upon him. It was like, no, this, this is too consuming, where the music no longer was soothing him because his thoughts and jealousy over David became stronger than what would normally have brought peace to him, which is interesting. Okay, Jackson, you said? Okay, well, let's close in prayer and lift up Jackson. Father, we do come before you on behalf of this little baby and the mama and the family who are concerned. And Lord, we pray your hand be upon little Jackson right now, that you would allow all his vitals to become strengthened and him to make it through, Father. Lord, that the parents would be able to rejoice and have a son, Lord. And Lord, I know this is difficult waiting process as the baby is still just needing help to breathe and to function. But Lord, we know that you are the one who gives breath and gives life. And we pray you would give that to Jackson, that he would have the will to breathe. Lord, that you would put within his own little heart the desire to just fight for this life. And we pray you would direct the doctors to do all that they can. Lord, we are pulling for this life that you've given. Lord, that it would be healthy and strong. We entrust him into your care, Father, above anyone else's. God, be honored and glorified in this baby. And in this baby's life, may faith well up inside of the parents. May they trust you for their child's life. And may that faith be contagious. And even as David had the perspective, God, I can do this. May they have the perspective. May we have the perspective. God, you can do this. This is not too big for you. In fact, God, this is... No difficulty for you. And so we come to you, the great physician, and plead on Jackson's behalf, on his parents' behalf. Have mercy on him, have mercy on them, and do what you do, God. Give life. We entrust him to you. And and I thank you, Lord, for, again, the, the truths we looked at in this chapter, the warnings to our own souls and and our own hearts about pride. Lord, may we rejoice in others. May we desire to see others do well. Father, we thank you again for your spirits working within our heart. And Lord, we all have pride. And it is so easy to, to be unaware of where that lurks within us. But may we be aware Lord, especially as we see competition, when we see ourselves comparing ourselves to others, maybe we be aware that this is pride showing its head. And may we be quick to try and esteem others more important than ourselves. 
even as you did, Jesus. May we not think of this position something that we need to hold on to, but we would submit ourselves to you. And Lord, trust you to raise us up. We do love you and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.